Today on the show, I'm going to talk about transformation, how to transform your life. And I'll do that through answering the question, how did this turban get on my head? I need your help. There are three ways that you can help me and this podcast. I don't spend a lot of time promoting my social media. And when I invite guests on this program, the first thing they do is they look at the number of followers I have to determine if it's worth their time to come on the program. And so what I'm asking you to do today is go to my Instagram and follow me. There will be a link in the episode description. Click on the link and follow me on Instagram. And if you're on Facebook too, you can follow me there as well. And when the numbers get high enough, then it makes it more interesting for guests to come on this program. The second thing I want you to do is to go on iTunes and rate and review the podcast. Again, this is a way that people who I invite on the program determine if it's worth it for them to spend their time. So go into iTunes and rate and review the podcast. The third way that I'm asking for your help today is to make a donation. I rely on the generosity of you, the listeners, to help fund this program, and I want to add video to this. So when I do have guests on, it'll be more interesting. You can go on YouTube and watch the interview. And so I need help with this. So go to thestoryofmepodcast.com, and on the contact page, there's a donate button. You can even donate in bitcoins. And there's also a link in the episode description for you to make the donation. Give what you can. It could be the price of a yoga class. Whatever you feel that you have received from this podcast, please make a donation in kind. You can also go to the podcast merch shop and buy a coffee mug, a shirt, or a bag with one of the quotes from my writing on it to help remind you of your inner power and the insights that I'm bringing to you through my writing and podcast. You can also go to the podcast website and drop me a line. Give me some feedback. Ask me a question that I can answer on the program. I love to hear from my listeners. In fact, this is one thing that was really nice when I was traveling around for a little bit is to meet you in person. And so this was great. I like making this an interactive experience and to know some of the listeners at least. So please send me some uh, messages. Go to thestoryofmepodcast.com. And on the contact page, you can record or write a message to me. Okay, so now let's get to it. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the story of me with Amarjit Singh. This is where my guests and I share personal stories from our life and explore the psychological insights that were learned from these experiences. Each story will entertain you as well as increase your understanding of your own psychological patterns. Then, through the principles of yoga psychology, you will learn how to overcome the resistance that is holding you back from living a more fulfilling life. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I share my experiences in psychological understanding, interview guests, and answer listener questions. Now let's get started with the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness 
and understanding. Welcome to the show. For new listeners, my name is Amarjit Singh, and I am your host. For old listeners, welcome back. It's good to have everyone again. I hope everyone is doing well. Today on the show, I want to talk about what it means to transform your life, and I'm going to do this through the story that answers the question, how did this turban get on my head? (laughs) Okay, but before I do that, I wanted to get into some current events like I, I seem to be doing before I get into the topic of the day. If we see what's going on with this war, right? Now we've gone from virus to war. It's interesting because it took nearly two years for the majority of people to break the hypnotic spell from this false COVID narrative, only to go back to sleep amidst the war propaganda. It's crazy. You wake up for one thing and go back to sleep for another thing. The U.S. and EU and also NATO are definitely not trying to de-escalate the situation. They are fanning the flames of this war machine. I guess they think people haven't suffered enough or that there's more wealth to be transferred to the rich because we know this was the time period where we saw the most transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. And I guess this will continue because we have definitely the military-industrial complex that needs to be fed. Not to mention that this war does make a good distraction from the crimes against humanity that the FDA, CDC, and Moderna Pfizer and Fauci have committed over the past two years. And there are people who are working on lawsuits because there's definitely some fraud that has been uncovered by whistleblowers. And then, of course, this will continue. I mean, you have the, the CDC saying, we're not going to report the numbers because they, we think they will be misunderstood. That's crazy. It's just this propaganda to not show what's really happening. In fact, you see many of the numbers that they told us about of the deaths from COVID were highly exaggerated. I think uh, in, was it in England, only 6% of the people that they claimed died of COVID really died of COVID with nothing else. All the others died because they had at least two or more uh, serious health conditions. And and this looks like it's about the same for the U.S. and other countries. That's that's a, a huge number. But what I wanted to get into today is to help wake up people from this false narrative that we have going on about this war. And... I can tell you I'm the first person to say war should not exist. I don't know how in 2022 we're still in wars, but you see that what they're telling you is not really what's happening. I'm going to put two links to videos that I I really highly recommend that you watch to get an understanding of what is really happening. And the first one is 
The War in Ukraine by Glenn Greenwald. And I don't know if you know him. He came to fame during the Edward Snowden time period as he was one of the people who helped release all this information for him. He's a journalist. And there's a video that he did talking about the narrative and what's happening in Ukraine. The second video is a speech that Putin made on Ukraine and the U.S. foreign policy and NATO. It's really interesting to hear him speak. He's Whether he's a good person or a bad person, I, I really don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and I think most people really don't. But you have to admit he's an intelligent person, and he's able to express himself quite well. And so he gave a speech, and which appears to be a very honest speech of what he's experiencing and, and what's really going on behind the scenes that people have not talked about, especially U.S., Europe, and NATO. And it's interesting because if you think about him, whether you like him or not, whether you think he's a good person or not, imagine what the negotiations were like with him and President Biden from the U.S., can you imagine what those negotiations are like? I, 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 could, I, I couldn't even imagine it. I mean, think about how Biden speaks with the journalists who ask him questions. He snaps at them. He gets irritated. He can't answer them properly. Even when he was at his peak health and mental uh, capacity, he was not a bright person. He's not a very eloquent person. He's not a person who is really capable of, of deep understanding and conversation. Now look at him with his reduced capacity. How is, is that negotiation really happening? I, I can't imagine it. I, I would love to see that. I would love to hear that. I think if we heard this, it would really shine a light on, on the capacity of both these men. But again, there should be no war. When you watch these two videos, you're going to start to understand why Putin made these aggressions towards the Ukraine. I'm not saying that I agree with it, but it does give you some more background and understanding of how the EU and the U.S. and NATO have really not followed through on the diplomacy. I mean, look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? The Russians wanted to put missiles in Cuba. And the U.S. didn't want this because it's too close to the U.S. And, and this is what's happening now in, in, in uh, Russia. NATO and, and the EU and U.S., they want to put missiles in Ukraine. And they've been negotiating with Putin over this for how many years now? And all they have to do is say, we're not going to do this. Let Ukraine be a natural or neutral uh, society. And, and, but they're not doing this. They can de-escalate this very fast if they wanted to. In fact, the European Commission president, what's her name? Ursula von der Leyen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. She made a statement that the EU wants Ukraine to join. And this is her quote, they belong to us, they are one of us, and we want them in. Now, just hold this into your mind for a moment. They belong to us, 
and they are one of us. So now a couple days ago, or a day ago, I think, there were some mayors in the Ukraine, two mayors that made this announcement that looters will be shot on the spot. This was this was made an announcement made by two different mayors saying that they're not going the police were given orders not to arrest, not to detain, but to shoot looters on the spot. Now, is this the democracy that we're told we're protecting? And when the European Commission president says they are one of us, does she mean in this way of no court trials, no due process type of way? I mean, what do you think would happen if the U.S., Europe, or Canada made an order for the police to shoot looters? I'm not saying it's 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 good to loot. I, I think people shouldn't steal. But there's all different reasons why this is happening. Desperation, fear, who who knows what's going on. But is this really the best way to, to deal with it? And people who would deal with it this way, are they really the people that we think are like us? And that's what she is saying, that they are one of us. So I, I don't know which way she means, but it's something to really question. And what it really looks like is that the Ukraine is a puppet of the U.S. There's recordings of American politicians deciding who they want to run the Ukraine. And so it's it's like a chess game. And it's all for power between the U.S., Russia, China, all these things. It's all power. And it's all the power to manipulate the citizens because we're the ones that lose out no matter who wins a war, who wins in, in these these fabricated ways of manipulating people. Because it's it's all done spending our money, our taxpayer money, no matter which country you're, you're in, to fight, to kill people. Think about all the money that's going into just this this little war so far. Hopefully it doesn't get bigger. But think about all the money that's going into this, what that could have been used for. You have even Switzerland now saying they're going to send money. Switzerland, when did they get into fighting? When, when did they lose their neutrality? And so you have to wonder, why are they getting in? What do they have to hide that they need to dominate and to make sure that this war goes a particular way? And you can forget about the corruption between Biden and his family members in the Ukraine. This is obvious. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, in fact, one of the, the participants of this corruption went to jail. Of course, it wasn't any of Biden's family members, but uh, another one. And so I ask you to go ahead and watch those two videos in their entirety. Make sure you watch all of them. They're about a, an hour or 45 minutes each or something like this, but it's definitely worth watching them to really get the understanding of what's happening. Then you can make your own decision to what you think. You know, even I, I saw in the, the press, a Ukraine tennis player said she wasn't going to play a Russian tennis player in some tournament. This is how these governments are feeding you this propaganda. It's not this poor 
girl's problem. She didn't start the war. She's just a tennis player. So you're going to ruin her livelihood. You're going to ruin her career. You're going to, you know, ruin all the practice and preparation she had to, to get into this tournament just because the leader of her country made a decision that he wanted war. What does she have to do with this? Why would you punish her? But this is what they do, is they divide us between teams, us and them. And it, it's not us and them. It may be us and them in the in the the leaders of one country against the leaders, but it's not the citizens of these countries. And and we're we're falling into this, and we start to punish each other. It, it's it's terrible. It, it it's it's not healthy, and it's another way to be under this hypnotic spell. Most people just woke up to this hypnotic spell that happened over the past two years, and now you're back asleep again. So make sure you're helping wake people up to see the truth. Because just carrying a sign in the plaza or a a Ukraine flag doesn't really mean anything. So you're for Ukraine. I'm for Ukraine. I'm for the citizens of Russia. I'm for the citizens of every country, the citizens of China, the citizens of North Korea. I'm for everyone to be peaceful, to be healthy, to be uh, free, to make decisions for themselves and to not engage in wars. But to take a side and to say, I'm for this team, I'm for these people, I'm against these people, it's not the people. Stop promoting this. Stop feeding into this. As many of you who have been following me for a while know, I've had a pretty colorful life. I've lived in many different countries. In fact, even the last 10 years, I've lived without a permanent residence, just traveling around the world, uh, living in ashrams, monasteries, even caves. Been to every state in the U.S. except for Alaska. Lived in many different states there. And I had some very interesting experiences. Met many interesting people, especially in my time in the university. I spent, was it 10 years in the university? I went to music school in Hollywood. Played in a band back in the 80s and in some of the rock clubs. Got to meet some very interesting people at the university and throughout my life. And I was always a person who loved to study people and the path that people took to trying to understand them, really to understand myself and to help people with the understanding that I was able to achieve through these experiences. And I remember some of these jobs that I've had Like I said, I was a construction worker. I worked on Wall Street doing investment banking at one point. I did strategic planning for a biotech company. My last corporate job was at Disney Studios. I was doing financial planning for their movie division, their film division. And then after this, I was a stand-up comedian. And I remember... When I was touring the U.S. as a stand-up comedian and started really getting into it, being on stage at one point, and it was like an out-of-body experience, I was watching myself. And I was thinking, how did I get here? 
How did I go from all these things? And and then I'd look back and I started to remember that, yeah, this is a common thought I had. I'd get into some situation, some uh, life situation or career situation, and think to myself, how did I get here? And then the next thought is, I couldn't imagine what I would be like if I didn't pass through or to get in this situation. And this is a really important idea, is not the exact experiences that you have, but that you've had enough experiences, enough impactful experiences that you think, I couldn't imagine what my life would be like if I had never had this experience. Like when I left the U.S., I remember selling and giving away all my possessions and buying a one-way ticket to Spain. And that person who got on that plane to go there is not the same person that is sitting here now. Of course, my consciousness is the same. Maybe it's better understood or more awake. But if I compare the thinking of these two different times in my life is very different. I couldn't imagine what my life would be like if I had never left the U.S. Or if I would have never been a stand-up comedian, or if I would have never worked on Wall Street, or if I would have never even worked construction. You know, it's not a prestigious job, but it was an experience. And it makes you look at yourself differently. And this is what really life is about, is about reflection. And we learn about ourselves in relationship. As the great Krishnamurti used to say, is that you learn about yourself in relationship to people, places, and things. And we do this, and I have noticed this more so when I travel, but in everywhere, every every aspect of life we do this. You go to a country or a city that you have never been to before, and I remember when I first arrived in Spain, I had never been, yeah, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Canada before this, but really never out of North America. And so when I arrived in Europe and Spain, I remember looking at the different cultural aspects and saying, well, why do they do things like this? Why do they do this? And then the next question is, well, why do I do it differently? And this is how things are a reflection of yourself, is that you meet people and you say, well, maybe even the first thing you say is, what's wrong with this person? Why are they doing this? This is not the right way to do it. But then when you calm down or you have a a different perspective, you start to say, well, why am I doing it my way? What is so great about my way? And why did I arrive to this way of doing things and they arrived at this other way? And then you start to understand the culture, you start to understand the individuals, and we do this unknowingly. And we do this through this judgment. We look at something and then we say, well, what is the difference between me and this situation or the way they're doing it, the way I'm doing it? And it's a way to kind of reflect back to yourself. And you do this even through people's behavior. I remember 
having a professor at the university when I first really started, and he was a political science teacher. I had to take political science. And when he spoke, this guy spoke like flowers were coming out of his mouth. I had never heard anyone speak so eloquently for such a a long period of time without missing a beat, without a stutter, without missing a a word, without saying anything uh, in the wrong order. And I said, wow, that's incredible. Well, why can't I do that? Why do I speak this way? Why? And then you start to look at yourself and to reflect on, well, how did I arrive here? How can I improve this aspect? Or how can I admire this in this other person? And this is what life is about, is about this reflection, about this understanding to lift this veil of illusion that really you can do anything you want. And so today what I wanted to really get into is this idea of transformation. And what does this mean to transform yourself? As I look at all these different careers that I did, and I remember being a stand-up comedian and, and being on stage at one point and thinking in the back of my mind is, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, just laughing at myself. Who would have thought at one point I'm working in an office with a master's degree in finance and the next moment I'm on stage telling jokes, right? <laughs> or telling stories. How did I get here? And I think this is a, an important question is to ask yourself is, how did I get here? And if you don't have enough experiences to say, I can't imagine what it would be like if I had never gotten here, then you need to start opening up and having a more variety of experiences, a wider variety of experiences. Because this means that you're not venturing out enough. You have to have at least a handful of experiences that you can't imagine what you would be like if you had never had these. Because they shook your consciousness so much that they woke you up. And it doesn't have to be this idea of this positive experience. It could be some trauma as well. We learn incredibly from trauma, maybe even more so. But these experiences should be such a, a awakening to your consciousness They should be something that emotionally shook you to wake you up, to say, look at yourself now. Look at the world now. And this is how we learn to have a more open view of the world, a more open view of people, which allows you to accept yourself, which allows you to find love for the experience of others. And so when we talk about this idea of transformation, what really transforms? And so I look at this, like I said, there's many experiences I've had where I'm in the middle of that experience, and I ask myself, it just comes to my mind, how did I get here? And it's sometimes in very funny moments, sometimes in very sad or or, uh, uncertain moments, but one that I really remember is when I'm tying on this turban on my head is how did this turban get on my head? I'm reminded of this when people that I meet uh, that question how I arrived to this location in my life or people 
who knew me many, many years ago and asked me, oh, you've changed. How did you change? Or when people ask, oh, you have this turban, what does this mean? You're a Sikh. And and even when I was in Amritsar and I was at the Golden Temple and I would meet Indian people and they would be a little amused that a white person is a Sikh. And they, oh, when did you become a Sikh? And I get this question quite a bit. And when I would try to answer this, it really got me to think about transformation and becoming something. And I've talked a little bit about this in other episodes, but this idea of transformation means to change. And what changes? What can possibly change? And if we look at this from this perspective of yoga psychology, the things that change are not you, right? The body, the mind, all these things change. Anything that changes is not you. And in Buddhism, all these temporary things are the things that bring suffering when you get attached to them or you have this version or this desire for them or the things that they bring you. This is attachment, and this is what leads to suffering. So what's left if we look beyond all these things that change is the consciousness. This is who you are, this, this consciousness. Even Buddha talked about there not being a soul. So maybe this consciousness, when we say this consciousness is you, it really isn't you if it's all one consciousness. If it's all this collective consciousness, which is God, where are you? There is no you. Maybe this is what Buddha meant when he said that there is no soul. There is no individual. We're just this collective consciousness. So then when we talk about change, what changes? You look in the mirror and you see yourself at different points in your life. You say, oh, I look really good today. My hair looks nice. My skin looks good. I feel happy. I like my smile today. I like the way I feel. And so then you go about your day and you behave based on this perception you had when you looked in the mirror. And I say when you looked in the mirror, but it could be conscious, it could be unconscious, and it doesn't even have to be looking into the mirror. It could be looking into the feelings, the way you feel, or the feedback that you get from your environment. You grow up in a in a environment where people are putting you down, or there's drama, or, or there's abuse, and then you start to perceive yourself based on this. And so when we talk about change, what changes just the perception. And then when that perception changes, then the behavior changes. But the thing behind all this, what illuminates this, the consciousness doesn't change. And the consciousness is what is illuminating your life. No matter if you're feeling bad about yourself or you're feeling good about yourself, it's illuminating your life. The brighter The light, the better it illuminates them. And the way to do this is to remove the resistance. And that resistance is the way you feel about yourself, the way that you judge yourself, that you don't allow that consciousness to shine. But when it shines without this resistance, this is what it means to be authentic. 
And so how can you transform if nothing really changes? We can transform your behaviors, and this is behavioral psychology. We can transform your mind and, and, and go through some type of therapy or some retraining in the way you think. But is this really a transformation? And so the one thing that I started to really understand when I would get asked this question about how did I become a Sikh, and this is going back to this idea of how did this turban get on my head? When people would ask me how you became a Sikh or when did you become a Sikh, it was always a strange question for me to answer. Not that it was a strange question for people to ask, but I really felt uncomfortable saying, oh, at this day I became a Sikh, or at the, because of this one episode that happened in my life, I became a Sikh. Because it doesn't work like this. What I've found is that you shouldn't really try to become anything. Because I, I don't feel that I became a Sikh or that I became this or became that. What really it was the path for me and I think is the, the correct path is to think of life as a form of self-expression, right? I've talked about this, that you are the creative manifestation of the creator. God is creativity. God is love. These are all three things that are synonyms. They're all the same. And you are this creative manifestation of the creator. You are creativity. You are love. And the purpose of your life, of everyone's life, is to express this love, this creativity. And we do this through our self-expression. In the beginning of life, self-expression doesn't come through so easily. We have problems. We have phobias. We have fears. We have all these judgments. And what does this do? But it hinders our self-expression. It, it inhibits our authentic self-expression. But as we learn about ourselves, we learn about life, we start to remove these obstacles, these internal obstacles. Then our self-expression starts to become a little clearer, a little more authentic. And so this is really the process of finding your path of not transforming, but allowing this authentic nature, this authentic expression to come through. And so what I discovered when I was looking for my path, it wasn't to try to say I wanted to become this or do this, but it was more about allowing my authenticity to come out more and more. And so what I say is to recognize your own vibration and when I talk about this, remember I talk about everything is a vibration. Right now, your entire body is trillions of cells vibrating so fast that they appear to be solid. And based on your thoughts, your actions, what you consume, it changes your vibration. And this vibration is how you express yourself. It's what is illuminated through your consciousness. And if you can create a peaceful vibration, allow this self-expression to come through without resistance, 
you live a healthier life, you live a happier life, and definitely a holier life. You're able to be authentic, to be loving. And this vibration then is who you are. It is this authentic expression of it. And so you need to learn how to be still to connect to this vibration. What you do is you you tune yourself in to the subtleties of this vibration, and that is your path. So again, to discover your path, recognize your vibration, and tune yourself into the subtleties of that path. When I started doing yoga, I had shaved head, I had no beard, and I started to do yoga, and I started to feel better. I started to understand myself better. I started to create more harmony in my life and in my body and my mind. And I started to live a more authentic way. I wasn't so concerned with how I was perceived or how I looked. or So I let my hair grow out because this is natural. This is what I thought was a natural way to be. This is the way God had made me. And again, with the shaving, I said, okay, I'm going to let my beard grow because this is how God made me. Why am I trying to change this? And through this process, I had a lot of resistance. The ego kept jumping in the way. My beard would start to get a little long, and I would say, oh, I bet if I trimmed this beard a little bit, maybe I'd get more dates. The girls would like me more. And so then I would trim the beard, and and uh, again, after I did this, I'd say, oh, maybe I should let it grow. And I'd start to let it grow again, and the same thing. The ego started to appear, saying, well, you look better when it's shorter. Maybe when you shave completely, people can see your face, and the girls will like you more. The ego kept fighting this, and I kept resisting this. And, and it wasn't about the hair, it wasn't about the beard, but it was about my perception of myself my perception of how I thought of myself and the love that I have for myself. So then finally I let go of this and said, it's okay if people don't appreciate me because of I have so much hair or whatever it is, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not going to let the ego try to dictate this. I'm going to let go. And so I started to do things like this. I mean, I've done things like this throughout my life, but at this point, this is the way it started to go. And I kept living this type of life. And I kept down this path and kept removing particular things that made me look at myself a way that was not as open as it should have been. So I opened myself up by letting go of these ideas of who I thought I was. And after many years of doing this, I looked and I said, wow, I am really living the life of a Sikh. The same ideas, the same principles. And it wasn't because I consciously made this choice. It was because I started to uncover the things about myself and let my true nature come out. And as they came out, I started to recognize that this was a better 
projection of my authentic nature. And it wasn't because I read this in a book or someone told me to do it. It was just a natural progression. And I did have a a very interesting experience. I think I've talked a little bit about dreams on this podcast, but uh, maybe one day I'll dedicate uh, some episodes to this. We have different types of dreams. We have dreams that are working the unconscious out in the mind and working out the daily problems or the problems that are happening in the life or the problems that are happening within the karma through the past lives. And we have dreams that are warnings of the future or precognitions of the future. There are a few different types of dreams. And this is why you wake up from a dream sometimes and you don't remember it, but you remember kind of this emotional imprint of it because there was some emotional thing that was being worked out. This has a different feeling from dreams that are precognitions. And if you learn how to tune yourself into the subtleties of the vibration of the feelings, it's easier to understand which dreams are working something out from this and which dreams are telling you something about the future. And again, this happens when you learn to connect to the subtle. Just the same way you go to therapy or people go to therapy to learn, oh, when I feel like this, it's because of this, and this is what my behavior is, and this is where the the pattern originated. And we do this to learn how to be more conscious of the feelings. People stop, though, because we limit this idea of how many feelings that really exist. But since everything is a vibration, everything is a feeling. So the thought of a past life has a very different feeling than the thought of something that happened yesterday. It's important to learn how to tune into these subtleties so you can become aware of them. And I had this dream, and it was a very strange feeling of this dream, but it was a very uh, powerful dream in the fact that I knew it was something from uh, that it was the future, something that was going to happen in the future. And this was before I began doing yoga. I don't know, maybe a year or so before I started doing yoga, I had this dream. And in this dream, I was standing on this cement walkway looking at this golden building. And I remember it was a very clear image, this golden building. And then later in the dream, I was walking with a group of people. And I had a very huge backpack, you know, the big backpacks you have when you go on a journey maybe to India or something like this. But I was walking with a group of people, and I made the comment, this is India. It's interesting because now after going to India and living there for eight years, was it eight years, it's a common common to make when something strange happens or something, some weird thing that happens that only would happen in India, people say, oh, this is India. And so it was interesting that I said this phrase. And But in that dream, this is the way I knew, okay, I was in India. But I I'd never really thought about going to India at this point. It was before I started doing yoga. And I never really thought uh, about anything in that realm. In fact, this is when I was living in California. I was yes, working as a stand-up comedian in California and Los Angeles. And, and on the weekends, I would go to this Starbucks 
coffee shop where they had an outdoor patio on, on the Melrose Avenue. And I would sit there with a friend, a Greek friend of mine, and we would have coffee and talk about philosophy and different things. And I remember sitting there and telling him about this dream I had. I said, yeah, I had this dream, and I know that I was in India because of what I said. And I was looking at this golden building, and he said, oh, that must be the Taj Mahal. So I, I didn't think any more of this, and I just thought, oh, okay, maybe at one point in my life I'm going to go to India, but I don't have any desire right now to go, and, and, and that was it. So I kind of dropped it. But I remember the imprint from this dream. Even today, as I, see this, as I say this to you, I, I feel it. Then fast forward to a couple of years later, I started to do yoga. I was doing kundalini yoga. And there's different mantras in kundalini yoga, different music for the, all my kundalini yogis. You know this. And I was on the internet searching for, I don't know, uh, searching for a mantra or searching for something from the class. And so I typed in kundalini yoga or, or whatever the mantra was that I was looking for. And a picture came up on the internet, and it was a picture of the Golden Temple. I had never seen the Golden Temple before. I had never even, I didn't even, the, the, the time I had that dream, I didn't even know what Sikhism was. I never heard of it really. And when I saw this, I saw exactly the, the building from my dream. In fact, I remember the place I was standing when I was in the dream, exact place and the exact perspective I had of the Golden Temple. And it was really fascinating. Whatever that dream was trying to tell me or would, whether it was trying to connect me to my history throughout my lives or to connect me to some path, it did create a vibration. I'm sure that dream created some vibration that, that woke something up and, and got me going on that path. But I saw it and... and uh, saw this in my dream. In fact, then I started to think, okay, I'm going to go to India. I don't know when I'm going. I don't really have any interest right at this moment to go. But at some point in life, I'm sure I will be there, especially since I've had this dream and it was so profound in my internal experience. I just thought, okay, when the time is right, I will go to India. And then I went through many aspects in many years of living. I went to Europe and lived in Europe for about almost 10 years, right? About there. And lived in Spain and different places in Spain and Germany and Berlin. And I was living in an ashram in Berlin. And then, yeah, about three years I was living there and decided, okay, it's time for me to leave. And so I went back to the U.S., and my objective was to go to the U.S., do some workshops. I had scheduled a bunch of workshops and then go back to Europe and do some more workshops and then decide where in Europe I wanted to live. And so I scheduled these workshops in, in the U.S. and started to do them and scheduled some in Europe and, and to prepare for my trip because typically I schedule the workshops or most yoga centers or people who organize these for me, yeah, a few months, at least six months, around six months ahead of time, you schedule the workshops and prepare for the time to get there and the time to promote it. 
And so I had these workshops scheduled throughout Europe. And as we started to get closer to my time to leave, one by one, they started to get canceled for different reasons. One, the woman was sick and she couldn't help promote it. The other one, the yoga center closed down. And the biggest workshops started to get canceled this way. And I had nothing scheduled. And like I said, it takes, you know, you usually schedule at least a few months, but six months ahead of time. And so I had nothing scheduled. I said, what am I going to do? And I started running low on money. And I started to feel that I was being pushed into a direction. And all these ideas of what I wanted to do were were changing. And instead of hearing this calling where people talk about, oh, I felt I was being called to go to this place or being called to go to India. I felt like I was being pushed. One by one, all the opportunities were being erased. And that was the only thing that was left. In fact, I was almost out of money when I arrived in India. I think I had about $100 in my pocket and a one-way ticket to India and, and had to really figure out how to get things going. This is how we learn to uncover the authentic nature or to uncover our self-expression is to tune yourself in to your internal vibration and then learn the subtleties of that vibration. And so little by little, I started to get more and more connected to this aspect of myself, which was the Sikh religion. And it wasn't like I became Sikh. It was like that I was remembering, that I was remembering my expression. And I wound up going to the Golden Temple in Amritsar and sitting in that same spot that I was sitting in, in my dream. I think it was about 10 years before this moment. And so I held on to that memory and sat in that spot. And I was sat there for hours waiting for something to happen. I thought maybe if I sit in this spot, something is going to happen. But what wound up happening is just me discovering myself, me tuning into the subtleties of that path. And I wound up taking Amrit at Amritsar, which is the kind of baptism, the ceremonial baptism to become a Sikh. And this was quite interesting. I'll put some pictures of this on the website so you can see the picture of this experience of me of sitting in that spot that I was sitting in in my dream. The other thing that I started to realize as I've continued down this path is that the only actions that are your own are the ones that go against your true nature. All the others are of the Creator. And so your destiny is to remove all the resistance and see where that takes you. Right? You look at the animals, you look at all the other nature, and they can't question themselves. They can't do things that are out of their nature. But we as humans have this free will that we could go against our true nature. Remember, the only actions that are your own are the ones that go against your true nature. All others are of the Creator. And so this is your destiny, is to remove all this resistance and see where that takes you. And this is how you discover your path. 
let go of this idea of transformation and just recognize your vibration and tune yourself into the subtleties of that path. Focus on your self-expression. Focus on the expression of love in every way, and you will discover yourself. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American-style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 hertz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code, the story of me podcast and get 10% off. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the program. Again, go to those links on the episode description to watch the videos about understanding what's really happening behind this idea of war and learn how to love everyone, no matter who they are, Russian, Ukraine, American, Canadian. It's the leaders who are causing this trouble, not the people. We just need to wake up the people who are participating. And you only do this through love. And again, please, the three things I asked, you remember what they were. One, go to my Instagram and follow me. Please spread it to other people. I post things once in a while on there also that you may find interesting so I can get some more guests on this program. Go to iTunes and rate. Give me five stars. Write a review. Also, the third thing is to make a donation. It could be the price of a yoga class. Whatever you can give. Give what you feel that you've received from listening to this podcast. And then I can bring you some video, which I think will be more interesting when I have guests on the program. For those of you who can sit down and watch this, I know many people just listen to this as they're driving or going throughout their day at the gym or, or wherever it is. But please go ahead, make a donation. There's a link in the episode description, or you can go to the storyofmepodcast.com. And on the contact page, there's a donate button. You could donate in any currency. There's even a, a button to donate in Bitcoin so you can get me out of the system even more. <laughs> All right. So from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding, allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Why, Guru, why, Guru, why?